Welcome, everyone. Welcome to our After Sunday podcast. I am, uh, my name is Corey. I'm the worship pastor here, and this is uh, Matthew W. Price, who is with us here in the office. <laughs> it's the, Once again, Corey it's, with the middle in, middle it's initial. The, it's, it's Brandon. The, it's the joke that keeps giving. It's Wandon. Is that right? <laughs> okay. That's so good. Oh, and um, I want everyone to know, uh, Corey and I are definitely six feet apart. Yep, um, that's right. But uh, but he has the warmest office it's on the planet. The it's so office. hot. Matt Keller has done a great. He's he, Matt Keller has done wonders for it, but it's still really warm. It's like, I think I just get the heat pumped in here. I don't know what it is, but it's so warm. You open the door and it's like this waft of heat. It's like a sauna. It's like here. a sauna. I know. Well, yeah, you're wearing a hoodie and everything else. But how you doing, Matthew? Doing okay. Yeah, you doing right? Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, I might uh, I might uh, fly. Back to Alberta to be with the family. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, maybe Thursday or something, just to be there for a few days. Yeah, Tony's yeah. dad is not not doing well, eh? Yeah, yeah, that's really sad. I'm very sorry about that. Um, okay, you have told me that you've got a lot of content, and by the way, little disclaimer There's here: a lot. we have really not talked about this podcast at all. So I'm no, we're going in cold, man. But everything, be... everything you're about to hear, Corey's hearing for the very first yeah. time. And you're gonna just you're gonna you're gonna be so amazed at the way I just pivot through, and I'll, I'll suddenly be like, "Yeah, but what about this? What about that?" <laughs> you're gonna hear this like incredible fresh wisdom yes. coming from Corey. Just improvised wisdom. Yeah, it's what I do. Uh, okay, anything to anything to add, Matthew? You read anything? Watch anything interesting? Should we should we just just forget about the whole? <laughs> <laughs> no, but guess what? I uh, I um, I realized that I I used to listen to Matchbox Twenty. Yeah, like they I'm used to be like crazy. my crazy. I'm just a little uh, right. Yeah. I know right now you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Broadcoms. I used to be like a huge Matchbox 20 fan. Mm-hmm. And um, I have not listened to them in years, mm. like years and years. So I've been like Checking combing through the old archives on Spotify and just nice. like, like all the lyrics come back like immediately. They, he, like he writes such hooky songs, like great hooks, right? Like you're yeah. always like, it's kind of like who else is like that? Roxette. Remember Roxette <laughs> back in the day when I was in high school? Tanya remembers Roxette. Oh, did Tanya like Roxette? Tanya she must. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love yeah. Roxette. Okay. Yeah, so Rob funny. Thomas. He's he's a really good yeah. uh, of Matchbox Twenty. He's mm-hmm. the he's such a good writer. He's so good. Yeah, he's got a great story too. I think that he is one of those um, kind of rags to riches stories. Like I think he was. He is kind of like what's her name? Uh, Harry Potter uh, author there, uh, J.K. Rowling. Like I, I don't read Harry Potter. Like, what's that? I don't read Harry Potter. <laughs> That's right. You don't, eh? No, I don't think a pastor should. <laughs> Weird. Okay. <laughs> well, you have the right to be wrong, Matthew. Um, All right. Uh, but but yeah, I think he lived in his car for a while. Like he was really like kind of borderline poverty stricken. And he, yeah, he, I, I, I actually don't know the rest of the story. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, his mom was, uh, she was, I think, uh, uh, struggled with addiction to drugs. Oh, really? Okay. And, uh, and so he grew up quite poor and mm. yeah, he does have that rags to riches story, but yeah, I've been loving it. I've been cranking it. Mm, cranking it so the good. House. There's some good <laughs> songs, man. I loved it when he came up with, I, it wasn't, I guess it was Rob Thomas playing with, um, Santan. Santana. Santana, yeah, the yeah. Smooth, such a good song. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so good. Okay, Matthew, we should jump right mm. in. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, um, yeah, like I, I just to kind of summarize what we talked about on Sunday. Uh, you know, you can almost summarize it all in that story that I, I told of Paul in Acts 17, where he goes mm. to the city of Athens, and he's such a peacemaker. Like, and he is he's seeking the peace of the city. That was a phrase we used on Sunday. Mm-hmm. He's really trying to not uh uh he knows he's not of the world but he's trying to love the world and point the world to jesus so he gets up on this mountain that overlooks the city of athens mars hill Hmm. and he looks around and on top of mars hill there's all these idols and uh and he sees all the idols that the athenians have but one of the idols is to an unknown god Mm -hmm. and uh and he uses this opportunity to build a bridge with the Athenians and say, and he uses a Greek poetry mm-hmm. to, to communicate, it's, it's actually poems about Zeus, to communicate the heart of God for the Athenians. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of him not kind of condemning the culture, yeah. but also not uh, assimilating with the culture and going, mm-hmm. oh, these, these gods are true gods, you know? Yeah. No, like there is one true God. Um, and I'm going to use the the culture 
and I'm going to build a bridge here to communicate uh, God's love for the city. And I think it's such a great posture, and it's a posture that I think is really lacking in our day. Mm. Um, you know, I think just thinking about politics or about faith, we're, we're likely to either kind of have like a condemning tone to mm. culture or a, it's all good, I'm going to assimilate into culture. Yeah, And I just love that way in which Paul doesn't go either option. He just walks this beautiful middle line. And um, I think we can learn from that. Yeah, I love that. I love that he's... Uh, you know, when he's like, I'm basically going to tell you, I want to, I want to give you like this, this, unknown, this idol to the unknown God. I want to tell you who that God is. Like, I want to put a name to it, you know? Yes. And it's like such a, such a provocative kind of story in a way, right? It's like, totally. oh, wow. It's very presumptuous in a way, right? To be like, this is your, you don't know it, but actually this God, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about who this God is that you're, you've kind of tried to, tried to, um, you know, illustrate here with this, this idol. Yeah. It's and we did. We've done uh, a series in the summer times. Uh, a couple, two or three years, we've done uh, songs to the unknown God, which comes from this story, right? This That's idea right. that that actually, oftentimes, uh, perhaps artists are writing, and they're writing from a place that actually, uh, you know, we would, I would argue that sometimes like their longings and the things that they're reaching for, they may not even know it, but it's actually like you're reaching for God. You're looking for God in your song, and you're actually you're speaking things that that actually you don't even necessarily know that are about God and that are, yeah. yeah. So anyways, I, I, I love that story. It's such a great, great one. Yeah. Totally. Really good. Yeah. I think artists, I think are drawn to yeah, that yeah, story. It's a good, it's a good artist ways. story for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I like that. Um, all right. Uh, so I want to just say maybe, uh, I think there's four or five things here that I, I didn't include in the sermon and oh man, that sermon was like a weird one to write. Like I totally, I think I, t- I said to you, but I like went to bed Saturday night. I didn't have a yeah. sermon and mm-hmm. it was just like confusing. And yeah, Matthew showed up and he was a hot mess on Sunday morning. Let me tell you guys, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> just crying, crying like a baby, weeping. Uh, no, just kidding. He wasn't. Corey literally <laughs> told the prayer team, he's like, uh, okay, when you pray for him, can you just don't pray very long? Yeah. Um, <laughs> keep it's it, going to help all of us. Two minutes. He needs to, yeah, he's got to get his stuff done and he's got to get all of the PowerPoint stuff to our media people. And, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. It, right when you started at 1030, yeah. like the first worship song, uh-huh. I was running up the stairs giving my notes <laughs> to the media Poor team. Flo, Flo was awesome. She was our media tech on Sunday and she's like just rolling with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a domino effect. Anyways, yeah, you go for it. So so these are some things that, that, that uh, didn't make it in the chaos of writing the sermon. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I wanted to say is that the early, the first thing I want to say is that the, the early church saw this phrase, Jesus is Lord. They, they use the phrase, Jesus mm-hmm. is Lord. And we forget that it was incredibly political. Yeah. Because in the Roman Empire, let's say you went into a market, you would be asked to say, Caesar is Lord. Right. Kaiser Curios. And you were, you'd be asked to take a pinch of incense and put it on an altar hmm. uh, to Caesar. Let's say like when you're going in the market or something yeah, like yeah. that. And Christians refused to do that. Mm. They were like, Caesar's not Lord. Right. And you think of the effect that that would have had on them and their ability either to do business or to uh, move around freely in the city. And uh, and so m- lots of theologians say we, we need to just recapture the fact that Jesus is Lord is a political statement mm. mm-hmm. and that we've kind of moved into like, oh, Christianity is just this fire insurance, like I get to go to heaven when I die. Right. But it doesn't have any real world grit to mm. it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think... Uh, and, and I think we just need to keep that in mind. And it made me think about, you know, uh, ang- the fact that we're angry, anxious, um, stressed. And, and I think it, you know, we, I think I probably say this often in sermons, but just that it, it's because our heart has become attached to other lords. Hmm. Uh, stress, anger, and anxiety, I think are signs that something is having control over our heart and mind in a way that it shouldn't. Mm. And in this series, I'm thinking about politics, ideologies, political leaders, um, conspiracy theories, whatever Mm. it is, has some kind of grip on our life. And I love the Barman Declaration, like in World War II, like Mm. 1934. So uh, Karl Barth, Martin Niemöller, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, they declared in this, what they called the Barman Declaration, they were were trying to be the true church when a lot of Christians in Germany were siding with the the Third Reich. Mm. And and so they wrote this phrase, I love this, um, quote, we reject the false doctrine as though there were areas of our life in which we would not belong to Jesus Christ, but to other lords. Hmm. And they have Hitler in mind. 
Yes, right? They have right. the they have the Nazi party in mind there, but he's saying Jesus is Lord is a declaration that anything else is not Lord. And um, anyway, I didn't put it in the sermon, but I, I I did think I think there needs to be the sense that we're recapturing that uh, mm. ancient one of the earliest declarations. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. That's um, it's sobering too. It makes me. What's that story? Uh, the story of um. I think maybe you've told this or Rob, maybe you told like when uh, like these these soldiers that had kind of where they'd become maybe it was Roman soldiers when when they had been uh, I, f- I forget the history of this but anyways the 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 stark image is them getting baptized before battle oh. but holding their sword their sword yeah arm Rob would the tell the story of the Crusades yeah yeah that's yeah. what yeah, yeah yeah they'd hold their sword arm out of the water so they baptized everything you know their entire bodies except for their sword arm yeah. knowing that they were gonna use that to to do the world's work kind of so thing you know crazy. it's yeah. so crazy yeah and uh huh no that's really yeah that's good cool um the the second thing i wanted to just talk about was just how politics have become a new religion and i want to i've kind of i got this idea from mark sayers he's a pastor in australia but mm-hmm. i wanted to include it but i wasn't sure how to include it in the sermon but 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 our hope if you kind of watch i don't know your friends on facebook or <laughs> people on social media or whatever, you, you start to kind of notice that lots of hope is being placed in politics, hmm. that politics will allow us to achieve the new utopia. Um, and, and I think I said this in the sermon that politics is a helpful tool to love our neighbor, but it can become a brutal master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that's good. and I think w- when we when we think about the secular world that we live in, both on the right and on the left, we, we have a vision for human flourishing without God. Hmm, right. So, so those on the right have a vision of human flourishing uh, connected to conservative politics, and those on the left have a vision of human flourishing connected to uh, liberal politics. But both anchor their human flourishing uh, in a vision that doesn't include Jesus. Hmm. And uh, Mark Sayers uses this phrase, we want the kingdom without the king. Like, right. we want the good life without the, the giver of life. Hmm. Um, and secularism is this, tr- is this trying to achieve the good life, uh, like the kingdom without the king. And when you do that, like if Jesus isn't king, so here's, now I'm going to riff on this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you do that, whoever gets into power becomes the Pharisee. Hmm. This, is a, this is a point Mark Sayers has made. He says, anyone who gets into power becomes the new Pharisee. What do they do? Well, they start to control, and they use power to control. Hmm. And a big thing they, be, they, they start to control is language. Hmm. You're told what to say, what not to say. And we find this on the right and on the left, yeah. right? Like whoever's in power now becomes the new Pharisee. And um, you know, you see this, let's say, with like, like a leftist progressive agenda. Like for a long time, they weren't in power, right? So you think of like the civil rights movement of the um, and the 1960s and hippies and so on and so forth, right? right? There was this free love agenda and whatever. But now when they have full control of culture, let's say all those hippies and when they were teenagers are now, you know, they're, they were baby boomers and now they're right. in control, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, and they're, they become authoritarian, right? So they'll, they'll want to control mm. speech, and, and I think it, it, you know, it sounds like I'm picking on the left there, but I'm just saying whether it's left or right, neither, neither of them know how to control power, right? It, 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 when you, when you achieve, uh, the summit of the political game, you now go, okay, I've now reached power. How now can I control people hmm. in order to achieve the good life or utopia or, you know, whatever it is your vision of human flourishing looks like. And, and it, it's way more Nietzschean than it is, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, Hmm. you know, because, uh, let me just read, uh, Stanford's encyclopedia philosophy says this about Nietzsche. They write Nietzsche's main agenda was to argue that the psychological world or the world as a whole is fundamentally composed of centers of power exerting force against one another. Hmm. So it's, it's all about power, hmm. right? Like who can yeah. exert, um, and I don't think he had an opinion on, on whether this was good or bad. He's just saying, this is the way it is. Like way it there's, is yeah. there's centers of power and it's who has the power at that moment. And, hmm. and to me, the right left polarization is just, 
it's always this fight for power. And yet it's so different than Jesus, right? Mm. Who, when he had ultimate power, he sacrifices his life, right? He takes the nails in his own flesh yeah. and he bleeds for the sake, uh, like th- the greatest among you must be your servant. Right. And he yeah. lives that out, you know? And I, anyway, I just, I feel like Paul, so my second point here is that politics, it's become the new religion and we're striving with power to achieve this utopia, but we've become Pharisees. And mm. it doesn't matter who's in the White House or who's in charge in Ottawa or whatever. It's just this power game. And and we're and 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 the kingdom won't function unless it's the true and rightful king um, mm. who shows us what selfless love looks like. You know, yeah. So anyway, I I didn't work that into the sermon, but yeah. You have any thoughts on that or? Yeah, totally. It's it is hard to. I think it's as with anything, it feels like a moving target a little bit because mm. you're like, well, again, and, and I know that you would say this, like, like you know, we don't run away from politics, right? In your sermon, you talk a little bit about that. Yes. It's not like we should be running away from politics. And politics has it is a great tool. It's an important tool, and it and it actually is. We, we would say practically, it has huge impact on people's lives on the flourishing of a country, all those things that actually, they, they really matter. And I think that they matter to God. Yeah. But maybe it's, maybe the main thing is to say that, yeah, left unchecked, it can become, and I wonder sometimes, I remember Brian's on saying like, um, that the crowd is always wrong, <laughs> which huh. is funny. Or, and he's talking about like the mob is what he's saying, the mob mentality. And it's, you see, we saw that on Capitol Hill. Like, you know, the, there is something about when there's this, when, when there's like this this mob kind of crowd and there's this energy that's going on and everyone's like people do things that they might not normally do on their own, right? When, when you're right. part of like a big kind of mob that's all energized by this particular thing. Like anyway, so I, I think the only thing that I feel like without it is it, it's hard, it's, the lines feel quite blurry in terms of like practically then how do we, how does this play out? Because it's like, well, while we, we do feel and we should feel strongly about certain things in politics, and we do actually want, like, so utopia, no. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, man, I want, you know, I want our country to be awesome. Like, I want, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, um, pay taxes in a way that feels unfair or, or unbalanced. I don't want, um, I want the poor to be taken care of. I want, you know, like, like, and all, and so much of that actually does have to do with politics. You know, there's a lot of things that have oh, to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I think what I'm I think what I'm trying to argue for is so this is why Christians need to be involved in politics hmm. because we're like when Jesus looks at Christians says you know you're the salt and light of the world well what does salt do it it preserves the culture it adds flavor to the culture and that's why Christians need to engage in politics I mm-hmm. think because imagine so technically a, a true follower of Jesus who's who's a Democrat or a Republican or a member of the Green Party or NDP or whatever, conservative or liberal, that what they're going to do is they're going to live out, uh, so they're, they're going to follow the platform, right, of their party, but they're going to do it in a way, um, in the way of Jesus, hopefully. And so we're actually going to say, hey, politics is just a tool. It can't become ultimate. It's not like... Mm the new religion. It shouldn't be ever become ultimate, but it's a great tool to love our neighbor, Mm -hmm. but we're going to live it out with civility and gentleness and love for our neighbor and listening. And, and I think like the more Christians that can participate in that and live out the ethics of Jesus, the more I think the political tool will work. It just doesn't work if it's only a, if Christians abandon politics (laughs) Mm. and there's no Jesus flavor to it, Right, and all it is is it's metal on metal. It's iron. It's it's, it's iron and iron. I guess is like a positive image. <laughs> iron oh, right. yeah, yeah, iron, iron, but yeah, like, yeah. but it's just clashing power games, hmm. right? Right. Well, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah, you know, and you're trying to achieve a secular utopia without, without, uh, without the actual tools to do it. So hmm. there's so there's not the gentleness, and I think we're seeing that in yeah, modern politics. Totally. There is no mercy, mm-hmm. right? Zero mercy. And how often do you see political parties work together? You know, right. not that much, yeah. right? And yeah, so, right. anyway, I think it's a good tool, but it can't become the new religion, is yeah. my point. It's true, and it seems like that is maybe the... And again, I know Tim Keller talks about how, you know, sin is when good things, or things, depending on, you know, become ultimate things, right? That's like that's right. Totally. And that's the same thing with politics. And and actually, even what you said about the idea of being a good uh, a good tool and a terrible master, or even you could say, sometimes you could say it's, it's a good tool and a terrible weapon. 
right. you know, a lot of things as well. And that's money and power, all those things, right? It can be, it can be used for good, but it can also, if it, if it ends up being the thing that controls you and the thing that your entire heart is devoted to, it quickly spoils, right? It quickly becomes, it turns yeah. on you actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's great. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so the third thing I wanted to, to bring up, um, was, was my little discussion on critical race theory. Yeah, man. That was like, that was slightly confusing, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you hear me arrive to critical race? I started fumbling over my words. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's like a deer in the headlights. Yeah, no, it's kidding. It wasn't that bad at all, but it was, yeah, I remember being like, oh, I'm, I, I had a feeling you were going to want to. Matthew's nervous? Yeah. <laughs> you're going to want to revisit this. Yeah. No, no. I think I had this moment where I was like, Oh my goodness! I'm a, I just used the word critical race or the words critical race theory, and hundreds of people are listening to this, and I suddenly panicked. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Wait a second! I don't know what critical race theory is. Just kidding. I know that's not true. Oh yeah, you know, like those dreams of like people oh, have of like uh, when they're when they're like super nervous to oh, go on stage yeah, or whatever, yeah. and people start booing at you. Yeah, or, you're, like, or you're like, I didn't write it. I didn't actually write it out. What was it? What I didn't do I write do? it yeah, out. Yeah. I had a, a slight moment of that. Did, yeah, like right <laughs> when I said critical race theory, and I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Anyway. I had the same, I had a couple of those moments on Sunday, actually. When I did you? Well, at the very beginning, when I was doing the little talk thing, so Emily and I, you probably don't care about this, but Emily and I had planned to start, she was going to start like sort of this quiet pad musical thing underneath it. Yeah. But it started right in the middle because we hadn't put it. So all of a sudden, it was like, and oh. it came on. And it wasn't bad on the stream, but in my ears, it was quite loud. So mid sentence, I suddenly was like, oh, and I and I suddenly got distracted. And then also in one of the songs, I forgot the words for like four lines. I, I, I was like, oh, I was like <laughs> kind of like making up. Yeah, it happens. Anyway, sorry, but we're not talking about Corey. We're talking <laughs> about Matthew and critical race theory. So back to you. <laughs> Say that again. Mercy yeah. reigns. <laughs> mercy. Something about mercy it was, reigns. It, seriously, it was something like that. I was like, yeah, you were hard for was in. <laughs> Because Mason home or something. Yeah, I forget. It was like, it was, and I'm like scrambling. My eyes are scanning everywhere. And then I, then I sang confidently a line that was not the line. Anyways, it's bad. Yeah, it was, it had, it's, uh, yeah. I think we should all go back on and rewatch yeah, it. You should, you'll yeah. see it in Ever Be. Yeah, first song after the, no, second song after the message. Yeah, second oh. verse. Yeah, oh no, end of the first verse, whatever. Mm. You should do a pandemic song about Ever Be <laughs> and it should be, these pounds will ever be on my <laughs> hips. Ever yeah, be on my oh, hips. Oh man, I weighed myself today. <laughs> Tell <laughs> is that where the story is? That's it. That's it. That's the Give whole story. Give us the numbers. No, I'm not giving the numbers. Hit but us with but the numbers. It's, it's definitely more than I was a year ago, for sure. Like, yeah, by like ten pounds or something. It's bad. I'm like Corey. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should race this last. These last two minutes, <laughs> five minutes. It's one. One five, one six. Like, can I what? can I guess the first one, numbers? Like, oh, the first numbers. Okay, so we're in the ones, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely in the ones. Yeah, in the yeah, that's right, in the ones. One. I'm just kidding. I won't guess. Oh, you're so close. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Starts right. with an F, so it's either four or five. <laughs> uh, oh no. Okay. No. No. Keep going. Yeah. Let's just move on. <laughs> let's keep moving. It depends okay. on the day. It does depend on the day. Anyways, go on. Yeah. Critical race theory. <laughs> yeah. Back to the basics, yeah. Anyway, okay, so critical race theory, yeah. here's the deal. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you're listening to this podcast, you don't care about it. But I think you should care because it's kind of a big deal right now. And yeah. it's it's kind of the maybe the, the, the academic work that undergirds the Black Lives Matter movement. And so it's, it's in lots of topics of conversation. Southern Baptists just released a statement saying, we reject critical race theory fully. Hmm. And so, I mean, I think the question is like, why would a Christian support crit critical race theory yeah. um, at all? Um, and so let me just say a couple things. As followers of Jesus, we really, we want to work towards the healing of racism in the world. Um, and I think it's part of seeking the peace of the city. Mm -hmm. And I think Christians have done that. They haven't done, always done it well. There's terrible moments in history where we haven't done that. Uh, beautiful moments in history where we have, but uh, we think about today. And so what do we do with this critical race theory? Uh, and how can we think in a nuanced biblical way about it? So this is what I'm going to try to do okay. here. 
So critical race theory, it is a, it is a critique of the systems of racism in our culture. Okay. So when you hear systemic racism, mm-hmm. right? Where this is this is an, an important um, way of viewing our culture that says where this is not just about Matthew maybe having some racist thoughts. Okay, I don't think I do, but I'm just saying it's not just about right, right. Matthew's personal journey. What critical race theory seeks to do is say we want to critique the systems that are out there. Mm. So this is not just a per- this is not a personal thing. This is like a there are systems out there whether we're talking about income inequality or we're talking about um, uh, you know job opportunities or uh, we're talking about police forces or the education system or government itself, there are systems of racism that we need to critique and dismantle. Hmm. Okay. Because I think for a long time it's like, well, hey, I'm not a racist. Right. You know, and, and we don't have slavery anymore or Jim Crow laws, so what's the big deal? Hmm. And, and, and critical race theorists are saying, you don't get it. Like there are there's systemic racism around you, even if you don't see it. Yeah, you're part of a system. You're part of a system. And therefore, you're, you're yeah. guilty, you're culpable. You're, you're, you need to be held accountable as yes. being part of a system that is... Yes. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay. So, um, so Marxist thought really undergirds critical race theory. And uh, so really, that's why a lot of Christians will reject it. But I want to kind of get detailed here. Okay. If, so, I'm going to, I'm going to explain Marxism... Uh, in a minute, and okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of explain uh, kind of Karl Marx, uh, some of the some of the uh, beliefs that he had um, about about systemic evil. Yeah. So I'll say something about that in a minute. Okay. But but some of you may be aware that it was Marx's thoughts that 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 were the framework behind the death of millions of people in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think of, of uh, the revolutions in Russia or the revolutions in China or whatever, just mm-hmm. all throughout the world, and the death of millions, right? So um, the thought processes of Karl Marx were, be- were behind those. Hmm. And so really, as Christians, we have every reason to be suspicious of critical race theory. So, But this will take wisdom. It'll take nuance as we lean in here. So... I, we believe as Christians that that sin begins in the human heart, Genesis three, right? That, yeah. that that there is that sin begins in the human heart, and as sinners, though I, I want to say this, we 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 make personal choices, but in our life we begin to build cultures and systems that become in themselves systems of sin. So like Corey sins, Matthew sins, but in my life I might build. <laughs> Um, either beautiful things for God or sometimes systems that end up uh, becoming their own monster, right? Mm, right. And uh, you, you think of, and I'm actually going to bring this up uh, two weeks from now, but the the monster Frankenstein, mm. uh, Frankenstein's monster, right? That he created something, but then it it, it turns on him and it becomes right. yes. evil, right? Mm-hmm. And so we think of like the drug trade or the porn business mm. or human trafficking or social media itself, right? With its algorithms, like it's becoming almost this system uh, that is taking a life of its own, mm. right? Right. And so, uh, so while we believe in personal sin as Christians, we, we, we can begin to understand systems of sin, mm-hmm. you know, that live long after we die. You know, we die, but there's some things that still exist. And you think of slavery itself, right? That mm-hmm. was a human system that uh, needed to be dismantled. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm just going to, uh, to uh, Kelly Hamron, she uh, was writing for um, Ed Stetzer in Christianity Today. And, and I just want to, 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 write, to read a little bit that she writes about Marxism. And she's kind of a, um, a, a scholar who's done a lot of work in Marxist thought. Mm. She's a Christian. She loves Jesus. Yeah. But she wrote this. She says, Marxism posits that socioeconomic forces create the problem, not that they perpetuate the problem. A true Marxist does not believe that individuals have essential selves apart from the historical context in which they develop. Hmm. They they are essentially, uh, you know, Marx was an atheist, so humans don't have have, uh, souls or selves apart from the context they live in. Mm -hmm. As an atheistic philosophy, Marxism does not allow for belief in a soul, and therefore people are merely the products of the world they live in. 
which he refers to as a superstructure. The way to change people is to change society. And for those who follow the most progressive version of Marxism, to dismantle society and recreate it from the ground up. This is what Lenin tried to do in Russia and what Mao Zedong tried to do in China. So here's what Kelly, Kelly Hamron is saying. She's saying that the essence of Marxism is that it's not really about your personal choices anymore. You are part of a system of evil mm. that needs to be destroyed. The system and maybe even you itself, mm. <laughs> right? It needs to be brought down, completely dismantled, so you can build up a new, build up a utopia. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right? But the Christian says, um, wait a minute. <laughs> as soon as you destroy the system and maybe all the bad people in the system, uh, you'll create your own sinful system. Right. Yeah. Right? Uh, you can dismantle as many systems as you want, but in the, at the end of the day, you carry that sin in you, mm. right? That, mm -hmm. that, and, uh, you know, we always talk about J Chesterton's, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, he, yeah. uh, I am. that I am, I'm, I am, I'm the center. I'm what's wrong with the world. Mm -hmm. Right. So the Christian understands and, and, and walks with a humility knowing actually, if I'm going to build a new structure, it's going to be sinful in itself. Like it, we push back and we say sin is always going to be there. No, no mm -hmm. matter how many systems you break down, we're still sinners. And the new system you build will have the stain of sin upon it. There's only one person that removes the sin and, and it's, and it's our savior, right? Mm -hmm. It's Jesus. So, so basically there, there really is no hope to Marxist thought and, and, and critical race theory as it adopts Marxist thinking, like there's, there's no hope to it. It is simply a, a journey of tearing down, right? Mm. Tearing down systems of evil, thinking that if you tear enough down, you can rebuild a utopia. Mm -hmm. But, but, but Christians reject that idea um, because people are involved, image of God, bearers of the image. Of, and so, so in the 20th century, a lot of systems were being broken down and many killed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, let's rob from the rich to give to the poor, right? right. The yeah. systems of the rich and, and those who uh, are lording it over us. Yeah. Sorry, this is a long explanation. Oh, but, it's good, yeah. It's good. Um, if I can give you a really crazy story of mm -hmm. like, uh, of, of this kind of thinking taken to its extreme. Yeah. Um, Mark Sayers, uh, uh, writes about this, this Japanese group called the URA, the United Red Army in mm. Japan. And this crazy story took place in 1972, um, at a place called the Gunma compound on the second week of February, 1972, the URA. So these are Marxist, uh, communists who are trying to, uh, uh, make inroads in Japan. Um, they, they became this, um, this group called the United Red Army and, uh, the chairman Mori and a vice chairman named Nagata, they initiated this purge of their own group. So this is their own group, hmm. United Red Army. <clears throat> they held trials for one another because they wanted to experience this utopia, right? Hmm, amongst right, themselves. Right. So they put each other on trial and condemned each other for what they called microaggressions, hmm. right? Right, right. So there were power. So they said, we're noticing different power plays that are happening within our own group. Mm -hmm. They put each other on trial and they directed the deaths of eight of their members through beatings. So hmm. they beat to death eight members. Wow. As well as one member... Uh, as well as, as well a non-member who happened to be present, six other members they tied to trees outside where the where they froze to death hmm. in a Japanese winter. And let me give you an example of this. So, like for instance, one of the persons that was killed was this girl, and she was she was like they were all in their twenties or whatever, and she was apparently beautiful. Mm -hmm. And they said your beauty is a microaggression hmm. that is actually throwing off the equilibrium of our group. Wow! <laughs> so you need to be put to death. Hmm. Right. It, it's like left leaning thought to an extreme. It's Marxist yeah. thought to an extreme. The idea is that if you can get rid of all the power plays and microaggressions, hmm. then you'll have a utopia. And anyway, it ended with what's called the Asama Sanzo incident. It's this nine day hostage event. Hmm where the Japanese army had to like take over or whatever. Anyway, I know I'm bringing up this crazy story. Yeah, yeah, no. But I'm just saying like when you let Marxist thought go to an extreme, mm -hmm. there's no gospel. 
Right. It's tear down, tear down, tear down, tear down. Yeah. So, okay. I, I, I'm going to push, I'm going to actually talk about where we can build a bridge, but can I pause there for a second? Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts, totally. Corey? <laughs> oh man. I mean, it's like, you know, it's funny. What comes to mind is like, we need more artists in the world. Hmm. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I know it and I, doesn't like, and I feel like it was Chesterton and I, I'll paraphrase. And I think I've said this to you before, but so it's interesting because it, it, he said something to the effect of, and, and I know a lot of people will hate this quote, but some of the effect of, um, it's not the, it's, uh, it's the mathematicians that go mad, not the poets. Mm. And he's talking about his, his point was, and he, it's not exactly right, but he, his point was those of us that are trying desperate, that are, are seeking a foolproof formula, dotting every I, crossing every T, making sure all the math adds up perfectly. And like, we're following this, making that kind of our God. Those are the ones that actually, where it, it drives you crazy, right? Totally. Whereas like the poet, the artist is able to kind of hold things in tension, understand that it's things are, again, I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth. Like there's, there's a lot of blurriness. There's a lot of, uh, there's paradox in the world. There's, but there's tons of beauty actually in the midst of it all. And there's, you know, sort of, the, he kind of talks about how the, the poet, you know, doesn't need to measure the distance from the, the stars to the ocean. Instead, he just floats on the, on the surface, enjoying the view or something, you know, he kind of mm-hmm. talks about how, so it, that actually is what I was thinking about when you're talking about this purest, whether it's on the right or the left. And the, the example Absolutely. you gave is horrifying, sure. horrifying. Um, and you can also see it. It's funny because I, and this is, I'm going to out myself because once in a while I've listened to Ben Shapiro, who I know like some people like, and he is someone who's incredibly smart. And I've listened to him just because I know my kids have come into contact. Like there's, it's one of those things where they've listened like, yeah, Ben Shapiro. And I'm like, oh, I check him out. So I have. And he's kind of like, he's, I listen to it. And I'm like, man, he's like incredibly smart. I often feel like what I'm really missing, I'm missing grace. Like I'm, I'm hearing all the facts mm-hmm. and facts don't care about your feelings. This is one of those things. But I'm like, but I'm actually, I, I'm what I'm not hearing, I'm actually not hearing gospel in this either, mm-hmm. which makes sense. He's, he, he's like, he's Jewish. So he, he's very Old Testament in a lot of ways, right? Sure. But it's very much like, nope. You know, it's all like, it's very much like these formulas, like two plus two is four. You do this, you pay the crime. You, don't, you know, it's all very, very, and I'm like, yeah, it's funny that, and that, but then of course I hear a story like what you're describing. And it's like, man, these extremes where it's like, we are, we're missing the, yeah, the nuances of of color and of grace and compassion, and laying down your rights sometimes when you need to, and and not always clinging to what is exactly justice and what should be exactly you know all those things that well that we see in Jesus right we see it in Jesus totally. all the time laying down his rights you know washing the feet of his disciples and yeah going to the cross willingly and you know like anyways that that's what I that's what I think about when you tell me the story totally yeah. yeah 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 no that's 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 totally it and. And I think that when we, when we hear, when we go, going back to critical race theory here, like I want to be a bridge builder. And I just took about 10 minutes to say how dangerous it was. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> right. So to my fellow followers of Jesus, I want to say, I want to become like Paul in Athens and mm-hmm. say, okay, as dangerous as I think the ideology could be, I want to actually be a bridge builder and uh, and I want to work together. And so here's where I think we can find common ground with someone who believes in critical race theory. We say, does a Christian believe that there are those who are exerting power in controlling ways? 100%. Mm-hmm. Right? Do we believe that there's oppression out there? Yes. Do we believe in systemic sin? 100% we do. Of course we believe in systemic sin. And I would I would say any Christian who says we don't believe in systemic sin, we only believe in personal sin or something like that, I would say false. Like you if you are pro-life and abortion, think about abortion, I think you believe that there's a system that needs to be critiqued. Mm-hmm. That it's not just personal decisions that people make whether they abort their baby or not. No. Right. Um, you, you believe that there's probably a system of sin that propagates more abortions in mm. our country. You're naive to not think so, right? right? Yeah. I know that that some would say that, hey, governments are in collaboration with abortion clinics or like in America, let's say in collaboration with Planned Parenthood, which is a system of death, you know, and so it's systemic evil, right? Mm. So you're propagating more death. Um and, and I think most Christians who are pro-life would say, I have to address abortion at the systemic level as well. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you think Americans are crazy about who gets in the Supreme Court? Because we have to address it at a systemic 
level. Hmm. So yeah. I, I'm just saying it's it's totally not fair to say we're going to address abortion at a systemic level, but not racism at a systemic level. Right, right. So I would say Christians say absolutely. For for the critical race theorist, we agree. There's systemic sins. I want to work with you, but but I will actually part ways <laughs> on some of the Marxist leanings. Yeah. Um, and, and, but I still want to build a bridge and work with you for the, for, to, for the, for the shalom of the city. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can, I can, I can take you at some of those basic <laughs> um, agreement levels and maybe we can, we can, uh, we can actually see some change in our city. So hmm. yeah. I like that. I it's, it, it made me think we didn't actually, we were going to talk about this last week, I think in the podcast and we didn't, but the idea, and you, you mentioned like how cr- good Christians like barbecue ribs or whatever. <laughs> we, yeah, we enjoy yeah. the meat, spit out the bones. And, and I think, and I know that there's, obviously there's, there's limits to everything, but, but there is something about, there's something really bridge building about saying, you know, and we have to do it on both sides because I tend to critique the right more than I do the left. But, but like, but to be able to say, you know, yes, we don't, there's a lot that we, there's a lot that we have trouble with on this side, let's say with, with uh, critical race theory. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think being able to say, but, Let's be honest. There, there are some of these things that we actually would say, no, no. We affirm, we affirm that. We affirm that there are systems of evil in the world. We actually, yes. we will, we'll meet you there. You know, um, and on both sides, right? To say like we, there are things like if it's let's say you know pro life, you know, or something. Well, of course, like you know whether we want to identify ourselves with you know whatever that that whole thing pro life, you know, and all that it means is to say, well, look at the very at the very least, we would say, absolutely, we believe that that God has made all life sacred, and and that baby is a life that God cares so deeply about, and so do we. <clears throat> now, we might disagree. If you follow that down the road, there might be other parts of this that we disagree with in terms of how that plays out and stuff. But I do love that idea. And I think what we were talking about is like, even when it comes to authors or comes to artists and stuff, like how do we, sometimes, you know, you hear, yeah, cancel, the whole cancel culture thing, right? Whether it's on the left or the right, where it's like, oh, that author said, wrote this. It's like, okay, so we can't, we have to, we have to remove all of his books from the shelf. We, we won't sell them anymore because we thought that he was a Christian, but he said this one thing that we disagree with, so we should take all the... I, I've always hated that. I always think like, oh my goodness, really? So there's nothing there's nothing valuable left that this person has said or written. And if that's the case, then we really can't... We actually can't learn from anyone if that's the case, right? Because if we dig, if we dig deep enough, we're going to find that everyone's got their... Everyone's got their skeletons in the closet, right? Um, and so... Or everyone's got even flawed thinking or broken thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think about that, Matthew? Well, I think if Hitler was a painter <laughs> oh, here you go. and he was that's in right. an art gallery, <laughs> yeah. This right. is, let's go back to like the, okay. like the early thirties. Like he was, he, yeah, he had yeah. all of his work in an art gallery mm. and then world war two happened. Yeah. Um, would you still buy his paintings? <laughs> you know what I like to think? Here's what I like to think. I, I think that the idea in answer to your question, I think the, uh, the ideal scenario is that you would walk into an art gallery and you would see this painting, and you would judge the painting, and you'd look at it and say, "This is really good. Mm. Like these are you can you can tell that this painter is gifted, God gifted to do this." Mm. That's the answer. Good. Thank you for your answer. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Don't you think? Isn't that no, true? I, I, do you ever I, listen to Mozart and be like, "Oh, got to turn it off, man," because he was he was a bit of a, a nasty guy, you know, with women and stuff. He he had he had a pretty bad reputation. No, maybe I'll stop. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a, it's a path that you don't want to go down. No, I'm I'm pretending yeah. to disagree with you. I, know, I actually yeah. I actually agree with you. Totally. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Hey, a couple other quick things here. Um, the the fourth thing I wanted to say on the podcast was that um, I it's really cool to read about Augustine, Saint Augustine. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um. So he he lived. Uh. Um. You know, sixteen hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, early four hundreds. And. Uh, and it's something interesting happened in his life. So he he was a you know he was a pastor, a priest, and um, bishop, and he he lived in a confusing political time. Uh, Rome, uh, the Eternal City, as it was known, was conquered in 410 in the year 410, mm. um, and it was shocking because actually, like whatever it was, you know, 80 years before that, Rome had embraced Christianity, and and it was and and it, and it became. Uh, this uh, city on a hill, right? This uh, beacon of hope for Christians because it's going, oh, Rome, the center of the empire has become Christian. And so it was confusing for many Christians to watch this beacon of Christianity crumble. Hmm. So so Augustine was reflecting on what happens when the kingdom you love on earth starts to crumble. 
Hmm. And the hope that you placed in that political system begins to fall. Uh, it begins to make you question where your true citizenship is. And this happened with Augustine. And um, I was really helped by an author named Kristen Dede Johnson, who summarized St. Augustine. And I just, I'd love to read a little blurb from her. Yeah. She wrote this. She says, as Christians, our primary allegiance is to the heavenly city, not the earthly city. Oh, just to pause. So he began to talk about the heavenly city and the earthly city hmm. um, and, and our citizenship in both of those places. Right. So, she, so anyway, let me start again. As Christians, our primary allegiance is to the heavenly city, not to the earthly city in which we live. In the earthly city, we're pilgrims, never fully at home, because our ultimate destination is the heavenly city. We ought not to expect to find ourselves at home in this age, or ought we to expect the earthly city of which we're a part of to embody our love of God. Our hope cannot lie in the earthly city, but in Christ alone, who lives and reigns in and over all earthly realities, and who will come again to fully usher in his kingdom. Augustine's perspective helps us limit the hopes we place in any earthly political system, while reminding us that we have the strongest foundation for hope in Christ our King. Because of this hope, we no longer need to cling to the present age, its institutions, and its blessings, as do those who only know citizenship in the earthly city. We can live through complex political turmoil without anxiety, trusting that God's redemptive work is bigger than any particular political arrangement. Hmm. That was her summary of his work on, right, on right. a tale of two cities, right? Hmm. And I love that line, we can live through complex political turmoil without anxiety, trusting that God's redemptive work is bigger than a political a particular political arrangement. Hmm. So anyway, mm-hmm. I just wanted to share that. I thought, wow, what what a what a lesson in history for Augustine to watch the 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 political dreams crumble. Yeah, and, totally. And uh, this tale of two cities. Yes, that's that's so good. It's and it almost like I mean I know this is maybe too simple, but it it, it reminds you that like because again we're not negating human responsibility and and what we're called to, but it's like let's do our part, trusting and knowing that God will do his part, which is so yes. much more than what we could ever do. But we're still called. God, for whatever reason, just wants to cooperate with us. He wants to use us in our brokenness and our, and our smallness. You know, like yes. in our, the little part that we play somehow really matters. And yet, ultimately, it's like God will do the lion's share, <laughs> you know, of the work. Yeah. So we do our part, he'll do his, you know, let's do this together kind totally. of thing. Totally, yeah. totally, mm-hmm. yeah. I want to end with some hope. Okay. This is my last point. Yeah. And again, I'm going to bring up Mark Sayers. He's so awesome. Mm. And uh, just encourage anyone who's listening to this to to uh, check him out um, and uh, really, really have appreciated his podcasts uh, on uh, this cultural moment and, and um, his writings as well. But he argues that maybe, maybe in all the upheaval we're going through, this is going to be an opportunity for renewal. Mm-hmm. So I want to fly this thought by you, Corey. Okay. I want to hear what you think. I'm ready. Yep. Amidst the polarization, maybe God, not, not saying God orchestrates this chaos, mm-hmm. but God may, might take this chaos and use it as an opportunity for renewal. The polarization will cleanse the church of any kind of cultural Christianity that was nestled too closely on the left or the right. Mm. Maybe in the moment... Like things are getting exposed for what they really are. Hmm. And in the white hot heat of pressure that the church goes through, maybe this is when Jesus' followers are really renewed. And hmm. Jesus' followers are given an opportunity to make a choice. Who's Lord? You know, right. is Caesar Lord or is Jesus Lord? That that again, not that God Jesus is causing the turmoil or the pain or the anxiety or the anger of the age. It's just that he's using it like a judo move. <laughs> he's using it against itself, and he's going, I, I'm actually going to use this opportunity for renewal. <clears throat> so let me read Mark Sayers and tell me your thoughts. Okay. He writes this, quote, A renewal cell is birthed, which operates as what Luther called a church within a church, a healing white blood cell within an ailing system. Eventually, renewal cells become remnants hardening in solidity and power as cultural Christianity melts away. The remnant becomes a hot center of renewal, a container emptied of agendas and flesh with space for God's renewing spirit to move. Out of such remnants, renewals burst. Cultural Christianity may melt away. Things often have to get smaller before they can again get big. 
Under the winter soil, the sprouts of spring are ready to break through the surface. Are we ready? Hmm. It's almost like he's talking about another reformation. Yeah. Kind of. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's no, what no, he's saying. Good. He's saying it's a reference. He, he uses the word renewal, but he's he's saying, could this actually be a moment where Jesus brings a new renewal? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it makes, I, this morning I was listening to a, a podcast and I was just reminded again that Jesus, like, uh, this is this is attached to this, but like, that Jesus, he, he is, he meets us in our pain and he meets us in our brokenness. And I don't know about you, but in my experience in, in, in life, like when I have hit any sort of rock bottom or like when I've, when I've, when I've fallen, let's say, or done something that I know is wrong, right? or even tragedy, or it doesn't have to be a you know a personal sin thing. It could be, but but a fall of some sort. Mm. That's often when when God is the closest. I found I yes. found when and and actually when God is doing His good work in my life. When I yes. I look back on it, and you hear people talk about this a lot, saying things like you know, um, like that was a horrible experience, and. Like Matt, like my life, that was actually when my life kind of turned around. Like I, I've had so many conversations like that with people where it's like, Hey, what's that tattoo in your arm? It's like, Oh, well, let me tell you, you know, and here's the story behind this. And, and it's like, and I was, and it's like, you hear the story. It's like, and I was never the same after that because that's where God met me. Right. Yeah. Everyone else, like I was like, you know, abandoned. I was like, it was like the worst thing. And, but God moved in and that's when he did something miraculous that he couldn't, not that he couldn't, maybe that he wouldn't have done. Yeah without the fall, right? Yeah. And Richard Rohr, I know you and I have, we have conversations about Richard Rohr, but he, I love how he, he terms it the necessary fall. And he mm. says that we all experience, we should all experience a necessary fall, which is, it's this moment of, of, of forced humility of uh, where suddenly you're like, you're, you've, something has happened and it's, a tra- and it's tragic and it's bad and it's hurtful and it, you know, um, and that's when renewal Exactly when renewal begins, because resurrection doesn't happen without death, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's cool. That's neat. Northangly, resurrection doesn't happen without death. What if? Yeah. What if? In the chaos, this is an opportunity for people to make a real choice. Will I? Do I want Jesus as King, or do I want this culture war and my my side to be King? Right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And uh, maybe what will emerge is a more purified people after mm. this. That's cool. That's good. Okay, I think we're, uh, we're, we're out of time here, Matthew. So this has been great again. And uh, God bless you on your, uh, as you possibly travel to Alberta. We'll be, Thank you. We'll continue to be praying for you and Tanya's family and her father especially. And um, yeah, we will sign off here for now. Absolutely. And we'll chat again. But uh, God bless you, North Langley Community Church. Have a great rest of your week. We love you guys. Mm-hmm.